Welcome to Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality with a dash of recovery thrown in. If you've ever had questions about the church, maybe a bit jaded in your attitude toward religion, well, you've come to the right place. Our host, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, planted three churches, taught at a prestigious university, but now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the question why. The host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bash. I don't know about you, but I know life seems more complicated than it was years ago. What used to be apparent black and white issues have turned into an insane amount of grays and purples and blues. It reminded me of third grade art class when we were first allowed to play with paints and shown how to mix colors. Blue and yellow could make the loveliest shades of green. Then, like every other ADD child, of course, I figured if two colors mixed was good, why not three and four and five? And you know the result, that ugly shade of mud, which was irredeemable. Unfortunately, when I'm talking about life being complicated, it isn't as easy to understand as mixing paint. When what we learned was good ends up being not so good or even harmful, and then confusion kicks in. It, if it isn't right, what I thought was right and wrong is what I was told was right. How am I to act? When what was cast in stone in front of the courthouse, the Ten Commandments I'm thinking of, is now forbidden on public property, who is making the rules? Or maybe more importantly, who has changed the rules and why? In college, I was taught that there were different views of ethics, the two primary ones being absolute and relative. Absolute ethics emphasized what was always true, no matter what. Relative ethics emphasized that ethics changed based upon the situation. The classic illustration given was based upon lying. Um, if a Nazi came to the door, if the Gestapo was there and they asked you if you were hiding Jews in the attic, what would you say? If you tell the truth, they will surely be shot. If you lie, you have violated God's prohibition against lying. So today we talk about a man who actually faced those issues in that time with the Gestapo and Hitler and churches as messed up as church gets. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And to find out more, Let's ask an actor who has played Bonhoeffer all over the world in the play Bonhoeffer 1945. Welcome back to Church Hurts and D. Paul Thomas. Thank you, John. It's, uh, it's great to be back with you. And by the way, Dr. Mayhew sends his warmest greetings to you. Oh, that's great. We certainly enjoyed our time with the both of you. Uh, but, Deepal, today, um, I was going to ask you to introduce us to this character, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, because many people may have not heard of him. But perhaps we'll get that answer if you just start by telling us how an actor, you, got interested in this man in the first place. All right. I'm going to throw you a quick curve. Is that all right? All right. Because at midnight last night, 
the realization hit me almost as never before, because it's been 26 years since I did Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Bonhoeffer 1945, and we're glad that it's available now on a video. But at midnight last night, I said, well, I've got to do this show with Dr. John Bash tomorrow. And I said, let's see, what is the date again? The 9th. And all of a sudden, I woke up. Not that I was asleep, but I mean, I woke up. And I said, wow. The 9th. At dawn. At Flossenburg. 76 years ago from today, John. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was stripped naked and hanged on orders of Hitler and Hitler. Wow. You had no idea when you booked this show, did you, that it would be on the date of Bonhoeffer's death? He was stripped naked. He was stripped naked uh, after a, a uh, totally farcical trial that took place that night in Flossenburg, which was the last stop. Uh, of his imprisonment over a two-year period. And what really drew me to Bonhoeffer, I was a child of the church like you. I rejected so much of the church because I was brought up in kind of an uber-fundamentalistic home. And particularly here in the heartland, you know, the old adage was, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do, et cetera, et cetera. But in reality, um, uh, I threw the baby out with a wash. And then I found Bonhoeffer, and Bonhoeffer spoke to me in a language that gave me again a greater accessibility to the faith and really was uh, in, in, instrumental in, in a, a complete renaissance of my, of my Wait, faith. But, but you were a church kid. I'm kind of a, a, a one of those rigid churches that people say, you know, man, that I don't want anything to do with that God kind of thing. And you were already an actor, right? You'd become an actor. I mean, that's real rebellion from that scene. Well, it was. And, and initially, I had prepared to go into the ministry. And then just, uh, boom, threw it all away and fled to the wicked ways of the, the stage. But um, we spent over five years in Bonhoeffer, in all of his works, uh, we traveled to Germany. We took sort of the Bonhoeffer path from Tübingen, eventually to Buchenwald, eventually to Flossenburg, sat there. But our, our listeners don't know who we're talking about here. I mean, give me the fundamentals. What about Bonhoeffer got you so interested? Other than the fact that he was stripped naked. By the way, that whole notion of being stripped naked as part of the ultimate punishment is a very historic uh, way of humiliating people before their death um, is to literally have them totally uncovered. And so here they are about to die and yet they have to humiliate them first. Um, but so anyway, what, what, what caught your attention about this man at that time in history? Well, I think as a, as a thespian and as a dramatist, it was the very dramatic nature of his life more than the theology of his life initially. It was the fact that he was a man of action, that he was a man who didn't just talk about the faith, but eventually realized, particularly with the advent of the confessing church, that he would have to participate 
fully in his culture and society, reflecting what his faith mandated from him. And so we see so many people today who claim to be almost prophetic. They, they feel they have a prophetic ministry. Well, half the time, uh, the prophetic ministry is nothing more than uh, a, a collusion with whatever is in the zeitgeist and the popular culture. If they can stay uh, one step ahead of the popular culture, they feel they're being prophetic. Well, Bonhoeffer was just the opposite. In so many ways, he was anti-cultural in relationship to the opposition he gave to the evil that he saw. So it was the fact that his life was a dramatic life. His, his life was a life of action. His life was uh, a, a decision to act and to act boldly and to act, yes, in gray areas that you speak about in terms of, oh my goodness, I'm now being asked by my brother-in-law and my brother, Hans von Dachnani and Klaus Bonhoeffer to participate in an assassination attempt on Adolf wait, Hitler. Wait, we can't get there yet. So we're talking about a man who was a preacher, was a theologian in, uh, you know, in the late 1930s in Germany, right? So life's just going fine for him. He's a pastor and a theologian at a major university and so forth. And then Hitler comes and I just pictured Depot. I don't know about you, but the, the profound thing to me about that time was, and this is church hurt. So we, part of the reason we can look back at the church, the established church at that time was largely co-opted by Hitler. Wasn't it? Well, I've got the, um, I've got the oath of allegiance right before me that uh, the church en masse took. Shall I read it to you? Please. Here's what it says. And thousands, thousands of pastors throughout Germany took the oath. I swear before God that I will be true and obedient to the Fuhrer of the German people and state Adolf Hitler. And I pledge myself to every sacrifice and every service on behalf of the German people, such as befits in evangelical German. Wow. Imagine, imagine that. Hey, by the way, as we're talking about Bonhoeffer, you can break into items of the play anytime that you want. Well, then let you me can... do, then let me do it right now. Let me do it right this second. Go. Heil Hitler. Sieg Heil. Heil Hitler. Bonhoeffer writes, in submission and obedience, we Germans have seen the meaning and the greatness of our lives. We have sacrificed our personal wishes and all our ideas to the task to which we have been called, looking upwards, not in servile fear, but in free trust, seeing in our task a call and in our call freedom. But in this, we misjudged the world. We did not realize that our submissiveness, self-sacrifice, and obedience would be exploited for evil. Evil disguised as truth, evil masquerading as light, charity, historical necessity, social justice, evil playing havoc with all of our ethical concepts, evil bringing all the true moral principles of Germany tottering and tumbling down. 
Mm. I, I can't, you know, when you get into this deep, Paul, I, I, I know you told us about this before when you were here, but I'm still picturing when this was off Broadway, the lady who unexpectedly ends up in the front front row. <laughs> She's expecting a night in, in Manhattan and, and she ends up hearing this kind of stuff. I wonder if it changed their lives, you know. Well, you, ne- you never know. Bonhoeffer has has had such influence and and uh, has I think been used by God. Uh, and 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 forgive me for uh, imposing the the ninth of this month onto April the ninth. Uh, but somehow I just found the correlation being the same day rather than the same oh, month. Oh yeah. Uh, no, I was just saying, all uh, so of a sudden in my mind, I'm going, what month is it? You know, with this <laughs> pandemic, it might've been August. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You know, but, but here look, I'm still, I just pick on the, the yeah. actor part because having had the, the theological training uh, that I have and the church history background, mm-hmm. um, it amazes me when actors do such a good job, really researching their material. And in this case with Bonhoeffer, there was a friend of Bonhoeffer's who ended up really becoming um, his primary biographer. Mm-hmm. And you actually got to meet him? I did indeed. I was hoping to meet him on my German uh, tour of research on Bonhoeffer. And that's the great Eberhard Betka, who, um, of course, is his principal biographer. It was, it was He was also... Uh, uh, Married to um, to Renata, I believe it was. Yeah, Renata. I'm pretty sure. I want to just double check that. And uh, yeah, who was Bonhoeffer's niece? They taught together. Uh, by the way, eventually uh, Eberhard Petko was imprisoned, but he was over in uh, Orange County for a religious conference, and I had sent him the script in Germany. He had sent it back to me with notations. He set up a lunch. We had a nice two and a half, three hour lunch together going through the script. And um, most of his uh, comments were complimentary. Occasionally he would tweak this, tweak that. But he was quite adamant, John, when he came to a section in the play in which I had the confessing church singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And he went, oh, no, 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 no. We would, we would never, never sing this at the Confessing Church in 1935, 36, 37, 38. I said, why is that? I said, why? He said, because this is the, the church triumphant, the church victorious. He said, and we just wanted the church to survive. We wanted the church to become the servant church again. We wanted the church to become the confessing church again. Mm. Yeah, you know, we've talked before just even about that hymn where it is one, Luther is one that everybody wants to embrace as theirs. Um, Even uh, Paul has mentioned in the Roman Catholic Church uh, that, that he has uh, the Luther's mighty fortresses in the Catholic hymnal. And, uh, yes, yeah. and so everybody kind of wants to, you know, 
associate with with Luther. The same thing's really true with Bonhoeffer. I mean, we've said that about C.S. Lewis as well. But Bonhoeffer is the same way because his story is um, is so powerful of really this preacher, this theologian who has to ask the question, what do we do when the government really turns on you? What, or, but it doesn't just have to be the government. What do you do when you have evil personified for you? And with all the things we disagree about today, one might say, you want to get universal agreement, you bring up Hitler, right? I mean, that is the personification of evil Bonhoeffer got, got, ended up dealing with it, writing in the midst of it, dealing with others at the time. Um, how did he um, end up really getting involved in a plot to actually kill Hitler as a pastor and theologian can imagine being involved in a murderous plot? Well, Hans von Dulknani was his brother-in-law also, that uh, was his brother-in-law rather, and uh, married to... Um, uh, married to one of his sisters, and he was a high member of the Obwehr, which was the intelligence wing of the military. Mm-hmm. It was actually started, you know, during the, the Weimar Republic, and um, he was working for Admiral Canaris at the time. And within the inner circle came several of the leaders of not just the, the 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 well-known July 20 plot against Hitler, but previous assassination attempts, including one that Bonhoeffer was participant in. We think probably he may have even driven the car that took the bomb to Hitler's airplane. And and um, so Gerhard Leibholz uh, was Jewish. She had helped Gerhard and and Bonhoeffer's sister escape Germany. Subsequently, his brother became president, I believe it was, of Lufthansa Airlines, Klaus Bonhoeffer. And Klaus and Admiral Canaris and Hans von Dolknani, by the way, whose uh, son was the, the great uh, Christoph von Dolknani, conductor of the Cleveland Symphony Orchestra. That was Bonhoeffer's uh, godson. They all brought Bonhoeffer into the conspiracy. You know, in the middle of that, I I, I want to stop for a second. I, I get so wound up with this stuff, Deepal. Um, just uh, for our listeners, um, uh, Bonhoeffer1945.com is where people can get hold of this. Um, and it's uh, no one's going to be able to spell that, but but it'll default to it on Google. I tried it, uh, but it's B-O-N-H-O-E-F-F-E-R. Bonhoeffer1945.com. Um, also mention that if you would uh, go to churchhurtsand.org, if you'd like to be part of our and, uh, this is Church Hurts and, and we talk about life kind of after that Church Hurts part, I'd invite you to join us. What uh, we do is encourage others, uh, particularly even pastors and people in full-time Christian ministry who've been hurt by the church like so many of us and are looking to get into that and life as well. And what we do takes a little bit of money, and we'd like to ask you to be on our team. We partner with Standing Stone Ministries in doing this, and you can find out all about it at churchhurtsand.org. But if you could just give a little bit or give regularly, we would really, really appreciate it. Deepal, 
with that, and I know you really, you know, you're a supporter of what we do and, and you know what it's like to get hurt, um, in the church itself, when the church messes up and here in Germany, the church messed up bad, but, but Bonhoeffer was doing this with other people. He wasn't doing it alone. Uh, I remember, you know, I, uh, I read in high school, I read Bonhoeffer and, and a lot of his work talks about how we interact with other people, what it means to be a Christian fellowship. What have you learned from that? Well, of course, again, the confessing church is a, is a perfect example of it. Um, there was a seminary there at Finkenwalde and uh, Finkenwald, and um, it, it really was a gathering of, of souls and spirits of like minds that just uh, studied the word, were willing to uh, really live almost a Spartan existence, constantly under the threat of the Gestapo. You know, what's interesting is we're living in a time in which, you know, churches have been closed and there are an awful lot of things that have been happening in our political climate by virtue of COVID-19. But this was such a horrific time, John, as you well know. This, this was not uh, closing down um, the church for the sake of a pandemic, uh, et cetera, et cetera, regardless of what you may feel about, about that and its, its value and so forth and so forth. The Gestapo systematically hushed Bonhoeffer up. First, they prevented him from publishing. Then they presented, prevented him from teaching at the University of Berlin. Then they prevented him from having any uh, a broadcast on the radio, which he used to do frequently. And then they began visiting Finkenwald. And then eventually they closed it down. I, when I read him, what struck me was when you talk about the church or getting together, I didn't get the, I wasn't picturing people in big buildings. It seemed at that time when you come under negative stuff from the outside that people felt a privilege just of literally being together. Oh, 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 abs, abs, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, he's, he, he's written extensively on it. I, I love that famous, that wonderful line of his, aren't people the most important thing in the world? What is the finest book? music, piece of art compared to one's family, one's friends, one's colleagues. There is that, that sense of Bonhoeffer that understood we can only, only manifest our faith in communion, that we have to be part of one another in, in a body. You wrote this play in addition to acting in it. Were there any particular parts that you just kind of, even as you were acting, that you were waiting to get to that you can kind of just give us? I mean, that was like your, your favorite thing. Well, 
You know, I found myself getting off the script after 26 years, and even though we've remastered this video that was shot at the 50th anniversary at the Edinburgh Festival, which was really interesting because the New York Times kind of killed us when we did it in New York, and then we yeah, go, yeah. Tell me, and, tell me about that. And and and, and, and then, a little bit. And then we go to Edinburgh, and we're praised by the London Times. And I thought, boy, if beauty is not in the eyes of the beholder, here we had the same play. The New York Times was critical of it. The London Times literally made it the pick of the of the the day of the of the festival. And um, I think a part of it was the Europeans have such a better, almost empathetic understanding of this epoch, of this whole period. I mean, when they hear the name Stauffenberg, when they hear this name, that name, they know these names. They know what happened. They lived through this firsthand. And we're, we're, we're just a couple of generations removed. But listen to this prophetic word. For Bonhoeffer, in my judgment, was a true prophet. And tell me it doesn't say something about today, John. Telling the truth means saying how something is in reality. What is telling the truth? He asked himself that continuously, you see, because, yes, he was lying to the judge advocates. Yes, he was he was protecting uh, his Jewish friends. Yes, he was lying. So he asks himself, what is telling the truth in reality? Today, it seems that anything that is concealed, clothed, veiled, pure, and chaste is presumed to be disguised, hypocritical, deceitful and impure. The private, inner, personal, and intimate sphere of one's life, ranging from prayer to one's sex life, as becoming the hunting ground for the zealot, for the probing psychiatrist, for the basis gutter journalist, if they can demonstrate to you and to a secure, contented, and happy world that it is really unhappy and desperate and in a state of existential despair about which it knows nothing and from which only they can rescue it, then their hunt is over and the luscious meat of humanity is theirs to gnaw, devour, and lay their pernicious and incestuous eggs. It is a revolt from below. A revolt of mistrust, a revolt of envy and hatred, so that any kind of true quality, great vision, or grand generosity are held suspect. And these are the enemies to the true mass leveling of our culture. Our culture life has become a torso. And unless there is a renunciation, of all that is expedient, topical, unless we break with the cult of the star, the celebrity, we return from the newspaper, the radio, and the cinema to the book, from dispersion to concentration, from sensationalism to reflection, and from vulgar virtuosity to true art, we are lost. Mm. You know, the... The whole emphasis today in church has seemed to become a consumerist mentality where we ask the question, where can I go to church where they're going to serve my needs the best? Where's the place that has the best program for my five-year-old? Where's the one that's going to teach me the way I want to hear? 
where's the ones gonna have the style of music that I want to have? And Bonhoeffer brings it to where I continue to come back to is no, it's about people attempting to worship God and to serving one another in that process, not coming to the table saying, oh, this is a restaurant, give me my worship off the menu. And Bonhoeffer nails that, doesn't he, over and over, it's so real. Well, and that's the spine, what you're saying right now, of his cheap grace versus costly grace. The cheap grace of just being fed, being fed, being served. No, remember the great other line. I think it's from uh, the letters and paper when Christ uh, letters and papers from prison. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Um, I encourage everyone, and I have to wrap up here. We, um, D. Paul, you and I can talk forever, and I love our talks. Um, you know, you just you have so much to offer, and you challenge my thinking always. Uh, but thank you. Encourage people to go out and uh, look at this. Let me just close here. By the I way, there's the, a study guide too. A six-week study guide comes. I'm, with I'm getting there. Trust me. You don't trust me. You got to learn here. Okay. I trust you. I, I, I had the privilege of reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer when I was in high school. And I did it with a few other teenagers who were chosen to be leaders in, at camp. The book was called Life Together. And, and I recommend it to anyone who is listening. It's an excellent way to ponder what really matters in life, even though you might not give it to your teenager. It was a little difficult. Theology may sound like a big word, which simply means a study of God. It used to be the primary course of study when colleges were first created. If one had the privilege of higher education, what could be more important to study than God himself? And so they did. As the centuries passed, our curiosity expanded, and we became more aware of the vastness of God's creation and how much could be learned if we really focused on science and art and history. And so while theology remained primary for a while at these newfangled universities, before long, we started asking, do we really need God? Look at how much we know about other things without looking to God at all. For many of us, our lives have taken a similar path. When life was going well, there wasn't much time for God, church, or prayer. But when the rain comes, the storms hit, life finds disease and abuse and loneliness and addiction and rejection and all the other things. Life without God makes less sense. It's been said it's hard to find an atheist in a foxhole. As we live in a day where fewer public meetings are being opened with prayer, where Christian symbols are being kicked out of the public square, I find it interesting to note that hospitals and convalescent facilities aren't following the trend. Don't wait until your neighbors are being taken into jail, put in railway cars to go to mysterious camps to ask God what life is really about. And if you want to get ahead of the game, grab a few friends and do a little book club one night a week. The book is called Life Together. It's only $10 on Amazon. Or grab Eric Metaxas' work on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, pastor, martyr, prophet, spy. 
Of course, you could really make it easy. And in your first meeting, just put down $9 because then you can sit and on the TV, watch D. Paul Thomas's great work, Bonhoeffer, 1945. It even comes with a six-week study guide. There is your deal of the week, which might just change your life. Life together. Hmm. Hmm. Now that is worth a thought for church hurts and this is john bash go and enjoy god today won't you well that was worth a thought for sure and brings us to the end of this edition of church hurts and next week it's rumored we'll be walking on the edge of controversy stirring the pot of denial and finding movement of the divine our host, Dr. John Bash, is the shepherd with Standing Stone, a nonprofit ministry committed to caring for pastors and Christian leaders at risk of leaving the ministry prematurely. Come visit us at churchhurtsand.org. Tell us your story while you're there. Until then, remember, church hurts isn't the end of the story. Now go into the end. Enjoy God today, won't you?